class. Okay, so you know what? But you don't need to know last class. I don't know, sometimes I like to summarize. You can understand this class is independent. If you did learn last class, it's, it's beneficial. But yeah, but it's not, so you know, you can understand. Okay. So this class is class number three, mastermind. It's the benefits of divine closeness. So, okay. Last week, can you ask him to mute? Or at least lower the volume? Thank you. Um, okay. So, last week we spoke about the idea, yeah, we, we introduced the concept of Hispanius and we translated it as contemplation. And the way we understood it last week, sorry, la- last week was we connected it with the word Bina. Bina, yeah, understanding contemplation is using your mind to imagine, yeah, to, to visualize, to experience something spiritual. And today, we can actually see the text, but it's actually related with the word Binyan. You see, you see the Bonen, Binyan, Binyan means to build. And what we'd like to say is that by taking these concepts and meditating them, yes, there's an immediate benefit. Now, I, <coughs> let me, uh, for myself, you know, a little bit that I've done, we grow up a little bit in Hasidic, and we're told it's important to study Hasidic, and then sometimes to meditate on it afterwards. So sometimes we do, I do that, and in the morning when you have more time and you're a bit more calm, you know, obviously sometimes you rush and you don't have much time to do. But the, it's, it's definitely, if you're able to, you know, if you studied something, you study a mind, you study a Hasidic discourse, you study it, and it may, you, know, it, you think about it afterwards. You know, what did it say even? Just simply, you know, you stood it, you understand it, what was the question, what was the answer. The next day, you know, you went a little further. So what did I think about yesterday? You reviewed the mind, what you thought about, and you know what did I add today? And if you do that a few days, you know, it takes a bit of time, if you have to, it's not major, difficult. But number one, it's, I don't know, it's a nice feeling. You feel, you know, you're able to kind of, you know, focus on that and focus on something spiritual. But afterwards, if you start davening right away, you usually have a bit of a lingering, elevated feeling. So when you daven, you feel, you know, when you, sorry, I'm sorry, when you start your prayers afterwards, but you're a bit, you know, elevated. So it gives you, but seemingly, okay, well, that's good and it's nice for the time being. But the question is, what about for the later? Okay? So, so like this. What we'd like to speak about today is that if you take that time to meditate on these ideas, they actually reframe the way you start seeing the world. It changes your lens of the world, so you start seeing the world in general differently. Okay, let's open up our books to begin on page three. Sorry, class three, please. Okay, um, no, why don't you use this slide? Yeah, that's another page. Let me find the page. Can we go back to page 10 and start first? Skip the introduction. You want to read the introduction first? Go. Mastermind the benefits of divine closeness. God is often perceived as some distant force, and spirituality as something static. This lesson rips off a veil, demonstrating that God's presence is dynamically animating all of existence in the present, and that God is purposefully guiding all of reality in all of its diverse details. It promotes the application of this awareness as a guide to developing a divine consciousness and shows how this can be effective in increasing our joy, resilience, and sense of purpose. Okay, that's a summary of our class. 
Maybe you can look back at it once you're done. So let's start with this idea we just spoke about a little bit about last week. And take a look at the next page. So this is Ramesh Lama Walby. Thank you. Okay, so I think that's all that's all we showed over here. Okay? Last week we spoke it's going to meditation more to get a spiritual experience, which is great, which is but over here we're speaking more about building that it's that you're constructing a new perspective of how we see the world. Okay, let's discuss this um, yeah, as far as like this. <clears throat> let, let me go back, let's go back to last week. Um, last week, just uh, that number, text 13, I don't want to get too caught up in it, but in short, we said that everything in the world has a soul. So the way we explain this is take a look at a human. And a human being, okay, we know that we have a soul. Because as soon as a person, the soul leaves, what is it? You're left with a sack of meat and bones, yeah? And nothing, nothing is functioning, yeah? It's not, as soon as it's only the whole, and in, right after that also, the entire body starts to disintegrate. So we spoke about that, that if we think about that, so really, with the soul that was keeping it all together, making it all happen, without the soul, it's pointless. So we try to say that the truth is with everything in the world, there's a soul. Yet we see, we see the tangible, the physical. But we should realize there's a godly energy creating every single thing. And we swear that if you think about that, what that means is that that's the main thing, seemingly. And that's what we should truly focus on. So we shouldn't be focusing on the body and the meat and bones. I mean, that's, obviously you need it as a part, but that's not the, that shouldn't be our main focus. So, so it's in the world, we should focus more and the soul of the world. And the, so let's take that idea. Okay? If we were to try to focus a bit more on that there's a spiritual energy behind the world, okay? so what would that, how does that change our perspective? How will we start seeing the world a little different? Do we have something in common with them? Because if we have a soul and they have a soul, then we get caught up on the physical labels of tall, short, white, black, and this and that, but we need to see that we all have that in common. Yes, he's old and gray, but I'm young and handsome. You told me what that. we have in common is that we both have a soul, but we get caught up on labels of old and gray, and we can't see past those labels sometimes. And that's very true. That's very true, and that's a, yeah, that's a very important concept. But yes, but the focus of I am not, I'm, yes, that's very true, a very important concept. Um, and very, but I guess the way I'm trying to focus on it a little bit is just as you, me as an individual, I have a soul, and yes, I should focus a bit more on my soul, but the world in general, everything, this table, yeah, this computer has a soul, okay? Now, and therefore, I should try to see the soul. What, what is that soul of everything in the world? I'm saying not just humans, yeah, everything in the world. 
So obviously, sometimes, sometimes people want to give an analogy of spirituality. You know, if you look inside, if I look under a magnifying glass, it's amazing. I'll start to see this proton and neutrons and there's atom, all these things, whatever. Yeah, they're moving and there's energy. Through a magnifying glass, it's much more than meets the eye. There's, which is true. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a certain level. It's going deeper. Okay, even we have here electricity. Okay, so sometimes electricity, like electricity is the battery, the energy. The energy which is making this... But, however, electricity is not a full analogy, I don't think, because, it, yes, without electricity, you know, it's just a blank, it's a piece of metal and plastic to get, you know, it's a, you know, what's this without, if there's no battery, you know, what does it, doesn't really do much, it doesn't function much. So obviously I do need the battery, I need electricity, it is a partial analogy. But in a certain way, the electricity is very impersonal. You know, it's the same electricity which can go and fire up an oven or your, your heating system and can go and fire, make your freezer cold. It's not, you know what I mean? It's not, a, it's, it's a very, like, a, it's a objective, I don't know if that's the right word, but it's not, let's, it's not tailored per se so much. On the other hand, let's explain the godly force behind everything is uniquely tailored to each individual thing in this world. Let's try to explain this a little bit more. But uh, so let's go for our next text. Does that pertain to? Are you talking about how Hashem is continually creating? Is that is that the force? That's that not today. Next week we'll speak more about Hashem continually creating. But it's, it's related. It's related. It's all related. Yeah, there's a lot of things. It's related, but it's not. Related. Yeah. Yeah. Are we talking about Simpson? The contraction in because. I know Kim brought up last week about even, um, I'm pretty sure you had talked about this, the corpse. The corpse returns to dust. Dust being part of creation must have an element of soul, if that, right? Yeah. So, but we're talking about a part of the soul that leaves the body Right? Is that what you're talking? I'm not talking about the person in specific. Okay. I'm talking about the godly energy in the world. Okay. Now, there's a godly energy. Let's, as we, you know, we'll read a few texts, we'll get a hold. But one of the things, there's one of the clear ways we see it, and we're going to see in one of the next texts, that in, in the world is divided into different levels of life. We've often brought in the class, there's mineral, like no stones. Above that, we spoke is that it's vegetative, because that grows. It's not just static, per se. Above that is, is animal, and above that is the human. Um, yes, I wanted to tell you, whoever was, but you were asking me a little bit about that. The, the meditation from last week, I, wanted, I need to share it with you, but it's a bit about, more about this in detail. But there's different levels of godly energy giving life to every, each individual different plant, to each individual different, you know? We'll discuss it in a second in the next text, just if we think about this, myriads of different species of plants, yeah? And then within, and then within each plant, is besides the myriads of species, the, each leaf is different. You won't find two leaves exactly the same, yeah? And nonetheless, there's a godly, unique energy <coughs> providing, as if to say, energy to each thing. That's, I think, generally what I'm focusing Yes? The symptom is related, but yes, go ahead. Uh, regarding the electricity, metaphor, um, I imagine all of the electricity in the world having 
purpose and flowing throughout the world with a purpose. And that's kind of the metaphor that I think of, you know, in terms of the oneness of God and, and the unified nature of God's being or essence that that we strive to understand that everything is part of the one that we're everything is instilled with the spirit of the one because we're part of the one. Correct, correct. So this is all related to that. But you, you try, I just want to understand your using the analogy of electricity, that's what you said, yeah? yeah. Or energy. Or what, yeah, that is, is like encompasses everything. With <laughs> yes, anything with okay. Very good, very good. Very good. We're gonna go along those lines, I think, in the class. Yes. <clears throat> yes. Okay, are we good? Um, right, so let's take a look at this. Um, let's take a look. There's a conscious force. So let's see where we are. Please read for us the text two. The soul of the universe. King David exclaimed, My soul blesses God. Psalms 103 1. Why did he feel the need to emphasize that it was his soul that praised God? He told himself, Just as the soul fills the body, so does God fill the universe. So King David concluded, let the soul which possesses the same qualities as God praise him. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the words are saying, just as the soul fills the body, so does God, Hashem, fill the universe. Okay? Any, any concept, like in what way do we see, it's hard to find, we, have to, we don't see it physically, but in what way do we see that the soul fills the body? Okay. I mean, that's in my understanding, the spirit comes from a spiritual realm, and it cannot do anything as far as any mitzvot. It needs a clea, it needs a vessel, it needs something physical where you can see interaction, where you can speak, you can do things. It can't have, a body by itself cannot perform any mitzvot of any sort, okay. but it needs something spiritual in order to fuel it. I see you've been learning a lot of different Hasidic concepts. I see you going. Right. So we'll try to, hopefully we'll try to kind of put them in. Okay, it's a very interesting, yes. In lesson six, we'll be a little bit more about the idea of seeing how the body and the physical mitzvahs and connect with the spirit. You know, what's, what's interesting, what came up when you just said that is that what is transmitted from spirit to flesh is information. It's not that spirit is information, but there's a purpose or a, I don't know how else to put it, except for there's, there's an information transmittal, and you know, if the body accepts it, you know, you move towards God. If the body rejects it, you move away from God. Well, if the body is rejecting or accepting, what's giving it the power to accept or Reject it. If a soul comes into a body, what? How is the body well, accepting or rejecting? That's God's gift to us: the the free will, the free will, the the, the, the ability to do with it what we please. Mm -hmm. I, need, I, need, I want to get back here. I don't want to get a whole oh, discussion. <laughs> That's not our class for today. I'm sorry. I just want to pull back afterwards. Thank you. Thank you.
finger, you know, I'm happy to discuss this after this, but let's just get back here for the yeah, people if we're trying to bring the point. So like this. <clears throat> I'd say like this, in a way, but even you, I'm going to take your point that you said, like even you said information. Our personality, what is me? My personality, what is that? Is that my body? Because my nose is this way, that's why my personality is more my soul, my character, yeah? And in a say, we'll get to also, the fact that my finger is moving. If there's no soul there, can the finger move? The little pinky, yeah, the, the, the warmth, the, the toenail is growing. Without the soul, is it growing? So the point, the soul fills... Those are bad examples. <laughs> okay, well. Yeah, because if you take an electrode on a dead piece of flesh, and touch some electricity to it, it, fl- it twitches. And if you, in okay. a, a... No, but fine, but if you need, a, the, the body on its own is not. It's the soul which is in it, which is making it. Which I'm just saying there's a force. Okay, you can give a different force to do that. That's fine. But I'm just saying it's the soul which is filling every aspect of the body. That's why I see. What? It's not the body on its own, but, this, uh, but let's, that's what we're going to get to. We'll, let's go through that to our class. Tom's point was, uh, yeah, the body cannot do anything without the soul, and the soul cannot do anything without the body, so it's a partnership. Yes. It has to be a partnership. But the problem is, though, that's why I asked you uh, beforehand, what, when you say the word soul, if we're talking Nefesh, are we talking Ruach, are we talking Neshama? So far, it's just been generalized as soul. It's not been separated, parsed out into... Part of the soul. Because we still have that animalistic instinct that right. says um, that wants to um, wants to please me. Yeah. Let's, let's, say, let's even say let's say we, for our purposes we can be saying we're talking about the very low nefesh, the lowest level of soul, yeah. which that we see active in the body, which we're speaking about. Yeah. For, for our purposes now, you can go that way. That's gonna yeah. if you want to point to you know, even that lowest level of soul. Um, that's yeah, making the body alive. That's giving, but without it, the body, yeah, the body is not. It's just a sack of meat and bones. So, I guess this is. Can you see over there? This is where we're going to go. These things as we go. Hashem's presence is manifest in the world, just like the soul is manifest. So yeah, the spiritual, and also not just fills the world and is present in every detail. Yeah, like we're, just like the soul, I guess in a way, it's every detail. And not just it's manifest, and, and then not just is it present, but it's actually the concept that it guides. It actually guides reality. So that's we're gonna see from this idea. The godly. Let's see here. Okay, so let's take a look over here. Okay. Just like we said, every. So let's go on with this analogy. Please read for us text three. Three, exposing the divine. The highly detailed self-awareness of the manner in which our own soul operates within our body will allow us to appreciate that the divine is manifest within every detail of the universe and that each detail exists and is sustained through divine energy. This parallel is expressed in the teaching, quote, just as the soul fills the body, so does Hashem fill the world, end quote. And as expressed in the verse, from my flesh I can perceive the divine. And that's Job. Every sensation and experience of the body, even the most insignificant, 
is an active expression of the soul. Similarly, even the smallest detail or phenomena within the universe is actively directed by Hashem. But in, in there, it refers to the Hanasham, and King David is talking about his Nefesh. Okay, I'll look, at, I'll look at that after. I'm not going to get caught up with that right now. If you want, I can ask us. I think now I'm just taking the general concept. If you want to go, <clears throat> the general concept, yeah? Yes, like we just said, that everything is an expression of the soul. Everything the body does, yes, an expression of the soul. So to every single aspect of this world, that we're saying, is an expression of Hashem. Hashem is not some distant being, I guess, which, you know, create, when you make a cake, so you put in all the ingredients, you put it all together, but it's something kind of disassociated from yourself. But, you know what I mean? You make a car, you make anything, <coughs> but over here, Hashem is, in, Hashem's up, is invested. You know, what, you know what, I think I'm skipping. We'll get to that soon. But even so, yeah, that's, um, that, uh, Hashem is invested in every single detail of creation of the world. Um, now, if you can ask, like, are, we spoke before that there's so many myriads of different creatures in this world, okay? Now, if you can ask science, science can say, why is it that these leaves are green and these ones are, you know, brown? Or that this is this type of green and this is, you know, pink leaves. So science can try to explain the DNA of this and that, but that's fine, okay? But why? Why? Okay, because this happens and this, this can live in this climate and this can live in that climate. Okay, thank you. You know, because I understand, because this can handle the cold and this can handle the heat. And, okay, but why? Why no, that? Hashem is making that as it's... Yes, science can kind of explain a little bit of it, mm -hmm. but the why is Hashem, make Hashem wants that this should be here, and this, that these things should work in this place. So let's see a little bit. There's a little bit left. Oh, sorry. Yes, when we develop this. When we develop this awareness, we sense not only the divine providence in everything, but we see the, the, we see divinity clearly wherever we turn. We can literally see the divine exposed. Okay. The entirety of creation divides into four kingdoms. Mineral, vegetable, animal, and human. Each of these is subdivided into myriads of specific species. If we examine the world of plants, for example, we encounter a broad spectrum of vegetation, such as trees, crops, vegetables, grass, and herbs, each category of which is further divided into multiple species. There is an astonishing variety of trees, and each kind is unique and distinguished from all other trees. There's a tremendous diversity of plants and herbs, and again, each kind offers a unique nutritional value. Some are beneficial, while others are poisonous. And they each carry a unique design and set of properties. Furthermore, within each of these subspecies, there are countless individual units, each of which is similarly unique. Now, each individual unit possesses a unique life force, the divine energy that is tailored for it. That life force is what we call its soul. The spiritual entity that animates it causes it to grow and guides everything that happens to it 
from the moment it sprouts from the earth until its last moment, moment when it is plucked. Even the plant's final fate is within the jurisdiction of a specific divine providence that determines whether the plant will be harvested for an overt purpose such as animal fodder, trampled underfoot in an apparently aimless manner, or wither in due course and disintegrate entirely. Such a matter is the result of a specific decision and calculation of divine providence. Everything in this world has a unique divine energy that is its life and guide. Each blade of grass is unique. It may appear identical to another blade, but closer examination reveals specific features that set a specific blade apart from every other blade of grass in the universe. This distinction is the result of the specific divine energy that Hashem invests into this blade. It is an entirely individualized divine manifestation. Okay, and that's quite a lot yeah. for us to, <laughs> yeah. to wrap our heads around. I don't, know that's, uh, I don't think we can, but yeah. But that means every single blade of grass has a unique godly energy. God is aware of it. That is its energy, kind of what creates it, and it has its destiny. And that's every single blade of grass. And that's what? Every single grain of sand. That's right. Every hair on your head, as if to say, yeah? The way someone mentioned this, and I said, God decides even this, every hair on your head, which, when will it fall out? When will it turn white? When will it no, grow? When, when there's, there's times it grows, times it doesn't grow, whatever each one has. Fine. But uh, it's a, sort of, I think it's a, I mean, I don't think we can get our heads exactly around it. It's too much for us. But, but it's a, that's the idea, to be aware of it. Is there an angel per life force? So if you take a look, you mentioned that, so take a look at the next text. Why don't you read it for us? And it's related a little bit to what you're saying. Spiritual world, text 5. Yeah, which one? Tom? Yes. Please read it. Rabbi Simon said, each blade of grass has a spiritual force that strikes it and tells it to grow. So I think that's more, there is a concept that you're saying that, what is a spiritual force? Yes, yeah, so the Hebrew, if you want, I, can get, I don't want to get too much caught up. There's a concept that there's an angel, yes. Talks about the Mazel. Mazel. Two wits as long as Yeah. And then what's that word? Shemakeh. Makeh literally means strikes it. Makeh. So it tells it to grow. Makeh strikes and it tells it to grow. So it could be fine, even if it's an angel mother. I can go more specifically what the Mazel is. But the idea is that there's a godly force with each specific blade of grass. Yeah? Yeah? Okay. That, that is giving it the strength to. Uh, no, give it, tell it, okay, now it's your, you got to grow now, you know, some, some grow, some don't grow, some, you know, some, some grow taller and things. Um, Rabbi? Yes. So your examples of um, blade of grass and leaves, those are nat natural things that grow by themselves. What, what about the phone and the computer and, and the desk that are man-made man -made things from other things that are put together? Um, is it any different? Well, it seems. Is, it, is, is one phone have a different? Well, to us, the energy than the, your phone is different than mine. What's phone? the phone made of? Because man didn't create a phone. He basically took what was already created and formed something. Yeah. So whatever elements he took to form that phone are the same elements that are. To my understanding. Yeah, yeah, I'd say a similar thing. Yes, yeah. very good, very good. I mean, as there's like we're saying, we said also this blade of grass. Which, you know, did we say here, or maybe it's one of the different texts, Hashem decides which blade of grass 
Or which flowers, yeah? Or the apples. Is this here? That's, you know, you've got apple picking. So sometimes you come there, there's beautiful apples. A whole lot of them are on the floor. Some of them are already on the floor starting to disintegrate. So they don't get... Then you have some of them which are, um, you know, there. Some of them, oh, I'm not going to pick that one. And so you do pick. One you pick and, you know, it just sits on your counter. One you actually go and eat. So it says Hashem has decided each apple, what will be the fate of that apple? Will it be used? You know what I mean? Um, so I'd assume even this, this plastic, this metal, yes, but I guess Hashem has decided which, guess which part should be utilized. You know what I mean? And I guess maybe it's a different subject, so I don't want to get into it too much, I think, but we spoke in a different class. When we use a phone for a godly purpose, so by that we're elevating everything that went into it. So yeah, in a way, that, that plastic and that metal and all that, also all that brain power to create and uh, all the different software and stuff, that's all being elevated in a certain way. It's a bit of a different subject, but I'm saying, but yeah, it's all connected. It's all connected. Yeah, it's a bit. Yeah. But I'm saying, but so does that answer your question a little bit? Yes. That, that the phone is made up of many godly forces from mm-hmm. the individual components of it. Mm-hmm. And some of those pieces of plastic just end up being extra and going into the garbage, yeah. and some of them do get utilized. You know what I mean? So. So I guess I'm saying Hashem's decide each piece of plastic, each I don't know how you measure a piece. Yeah, what should become of it? Yeah. And even that's yes, yeah, chemicals. That's, yeah, some, I guess it's a similar concept. Yes. To us, you're right. It seems all the same, but we're saying it's not the case. I mean, if you're looking behind at the spiritual energy, yeah, that is really a godly energy invested in every detail. For me, these are all metaphorical tools to contemplate the oneness of God, of, of the universe, that, you know, start parsing which specks have a soul and which specks don't, I don't think is that useful, but to, to contemplate that it's all part of the one, it's all, that brings you to, me, I should use the first person, that brings me to that Minute, uh, the meditation on the oneness of everything, and, and that's what's useful to me. The, yes, but I, th- you know, I guess it's not, it doesn't go into this class. And often it explains in the mystical works that there are different types of godly energy. There is an encompassing godly energy which is beyond everything and encompasses everything, and that does not distinguish between each thing. Okay, there's a just a general, and we're all included within God's light. Everything, yeah? um, right? Today in the Chumash, yeah, I think it comes actually soon in one of the texts, but it's in the Chumash, it doesn't say God is in the place. God tells Moses, the place is in me, as if, you know, the place, everything is within Hashem, there's nothing, but fine. But, but there's an all-encompassing light. We don't, but what we're talking about now, if you go more specifically, there's also... And this is, you mentioned the Tzimtzum, I don't want to get into it, but there is a concept that God limited it. God also is a, is a godly energy which is limited and finite. And that is unique. Because just like in the human being, the soul, let's, let's get back to, we're using an analogy, let's use over here. You have the soul, which gives life to the body, and you have the divine force in the world. So the soul animates the body, and we're trying to use this as a metaphor to better understand the godly force. So there is an all in even the soul is, you know, as, you, as long as you're alive, you're alive. Yeah, when you're dead, you're dead. But besides that, in the soul and the body, there's a unique power which goes to the eye to see. 
A different power goes to the ear to be able to hear. A different power goes to the nose to smell, to the fingers to feel. It's a different energy. You can't mix up as all energy. It is energy, but it's, it's uniquely tailored to each specific. You know what I mean? If the eye power from the eyes and go to the fingers, it's not going to. So there is a concept that it's more than that. I mean, it's the deeper thing, the ego within the details. Yeah. There's also, I guess, a godly life which is tailored to every unique, specific thing of creation. To every unique, specific thing that we grasp. There's the godly energy which, I guess, limits itself as well, besides the, and that helps it. Can I have Yes. <laughs> I think we'll be simple. Um, so when you talk about the godly energy in everything, and then you talked a little bit about what let's go back to the apples. So you have some apples that are going to be eaten and some that maybe are sitting and some that have already disintegrated. But just because they have a different purpose does not mean they no longer have the godly energy. Is that what you're saying? They all have the godly energy regardless of what they're used for. Correct? Is yes, yes. But I guess God has, as if to say, decided what will be the fate of each apple as well? It's part of the godly but it energy. But yeah. that it no, no, everything has right. a. Yes. So I would say you need to have bad in order to make a good good. To have that balance. If everything was good, then you know, if everything was just light all the time, you know, you need darkness to make light brighter. Yeah. So I guess. But I yeah. think there's a distinction here. We're talking about that everything has a godly energy, and yes, there's. But I think having the godly energy is a different conversation than the purpose of things because I think everything has the godly okay sure. godly energy regardless of the purpose. I mean So the godly energy Yeah. Okay, so you try to do the godly energy welcome. The godly energy which creates it and gives it life, otherwise it wouldn't be here. There's another thing which we'll get to soon in the class, not just that they have godly energy but also has purpose. And okay, well, very good. Okay, we'll get to that. You have a question? No, just China. Doesn't it follow from the notion that God created the universe, that God created each and everything at each and every time? Okay. It does flow, but it's not, we don't see it that way. It flows, and yes, it makes sense, but I'm saying it is, yes, it's a logical deduction, but it's not naturally when I see things, I just see them as an independent physical entity. If I could start seeing, looking around the world, and instead, if I, if I use this meditation and think about it, we're going to say soon it can change the way, you know, when you have glasses, you have green glasses, everything, you know, has a different perspective. So that's what we're trying to de develop, that perspective to, to see it more in our day-to-day -day interactions. That's what we're trying to, yeah? That's not, these, yes, very good. Um, Okay. Uh, they bring an example of a, a nice analogy over here. Yeah. <clears throat> Mr. Kessler, we were speaking about the idea that there's um, godly energy, okay? There's a soul in everything. So there's a godly energy which gives life to the world and to every specific thing, okay? And uh, so one of the things right now, there's an example that they bring to help us understand it. They say, like, let's say, you could see it, I don't have a mountain in front of me, but you can see some people, they cannot really see color. And then, I guess, they can put on certain glasses and it gives them the ability to see color. So all of a sudden, they look at the world out there, wow, 
it's the same world, it's the same plants and plants, but, but it's a whole different, I mean, they see the nuance and the beauty and this, it's, it's, it's a whole different world. So I think that's in a way what we want to say. When we can see, appreciate the godly, that there's a godly energy and there's a unique godly energy to every specific thing, in a way it helps us appreciate the richness. Huh? I'm thinking about that patch of ice that I drove over on the way here. And <laughs> okay. Okay. The godliness in that. But I mean, it's, it is. I mean, it was put there. You don't know what it was made to do. Yeah. So, so, I, get, so the, I guess, so let's speak about some of the benefits. When we start, you know, yes, we start perceiving this world, we think about this, and we start seeing the godly energy, at least, then one of the things we appreciate, wow, the world is so much richer, okay, than just appears to be. It's just, you know, there's a unique energy. Hashem is making this be here at this time and giving this, creating this. Um, so, and how, so how do you use that, like, when you're in, this, in a situation of danger? Okay, we're going to get to that in a minute, but yeah, yeah, yeah. make sure I answer that, okay? But make sure I answer that, because it's important. Make sure I answer that. Yeah, the, you can see. Um, yes, but... Because uh, we're going to get to that idea that Hashem is with us all the time. And let's get there. So I just want to share... There's an interesting over here analogy of bringing out that some people don't see the beauty of the world. The thing, I think there was a question asked to the Baal Shem Tov, how come your students seem to be always so happy. You know, what's it so happy to be about? You know, the world is, like people that you told me last week, the world's a dark place. Yeah, I don't see that's a garden. But I guess that you remember, what? You spoke about the yeah. but, So the question, but his chassidim were happy. They seem to be happy. So, it's going to be like to be sure us. Page 87. The Kazakh center, yes. Rabbi Moshe Chaim Ephraim Asudaloko the following parable I heard from my master, my grandfather, the best of blessed memory. There was once a talented musician that played beautiful, sweet music. All who heard it were mesmerized by the sweet, pleasurable, blissful sounds. They could not hold themselves back from dancing to the rafters in sheer ecstasy. The closer the people drew to the source of music, the more entranced it became, became, excuse me, and the more ecstatic their dancing. Just then, a deaf individual came across the scene. Not noticing the musician, he simply observed people dancing wildly and regarded them as crazy. What on earth could make people so ridiculously joyful all of a sudden? He muttered to himself. Now, if he were intelligent, wise, and knowledgeable, he would deduce that they must be dancing to a delightful melody. In fact, contemplating the depths of pleasure they must be experiencing. Judging by their response, he would be moved to join them in delightful dance. The analogy is obvious. Yes, so I guess, yeah, he taught his Hasidim, which we'll learn more about it, to appreciate the godliness, the beauty within every second, every thing of creation. And once you see the beauty, <clears throat> that's why they dance. Other people may be deaf to that music. They don't see that. So therefore, it just looks like a chaotic jungle as opposed to a beautiful garden. But, the <clears throat> but when we realize that there's a, that brings us to tremendous joy. Um, yeah, let me just see if this works. There's a, let me try. Sh- 
Um, let me see over here. I was a little bit behind over here. Not only do we notice how everything comes from Hashem, Hashem creates everything. Okay, everything is created by Hashem, but in a certain way also, once we appreciate, we appreciate how everything is actually an expression. Everything is a different expression, a different color, a different expression of Hashem's. Okay, so thus we spoke in our analogy about more about plants in the text that you read for us one time, but the same thing is you have species within animals. So for example, you had many different types, yeah, you have all different, yeah, all different types of animals. Within each animal, each has a unique characteristics, yeah, you know, there's the character of the, the eagle, there's the character of the vulture, there's the character, you know, that's within birds, sorry. Yeah, but, you know, but even within, okay, and also, okay, I don't know. We spoke about each individual animal, and each individual leaf had this, has its own unique character and also its unique fate. Okay. <coughs> so this is, <coughs> the Baal Shem says, this is the analogy we just read. If, yeah, if they appreciate the music, which in creation, if it makes them appear mad to those with less sensitive ears, should they therefore cease to dance? Just because other people don't appreciate, it's just all music. Um, there's a meditation now to help us kind of do this little. Let's see if this works. That's help. Give me a second. Design underlies every aspect of creation. It's quite amazing that as you note the world, you find that everything possesses an element of design. Doctors, scientists, artists, all point to the fact that design creates for them the pattern of what their work is all about. <coughs> Underlying design is a designer. Keep that in mind. Lift your flower and observe it. Have a good look at it. Look at the petals. See the thin veins. The pattern inscribed. Beyond the petals, look deep within see the ovule deeply embedded within from which grows the stigma amazing every flower with the same elements gently close your eyes and bring to mind that flower that you have in your hand Become aware of its exquisite cover. A shade that's difficult to verbalize. And remember, every flower is subtly different. Designed subtly differently. Raise the flower to your nose. What is its scent? 
its perfume. If you were to find a word to describe that scent, what would it be? Okay, that's a nice meditation to be uh, fine. But this one idea, thinking about this idea that we said before that Hashem is everywhere involved in every, you know, every flower and every particle. Um, it also gives us a feeling that Hashem is close to us, even if we cannot actually, obviously, kind of physically, we can't see Hashem. Hashem doesn't have a form, but you know, they bring an interesting analogy. Let's say. Imagine you can feel the presence of someone, but you can't see them. And let's say a kid 
your kid, God forbid, has to go for surgery or something, and you're not allowed to be in the room unless you can hold their hand or something. So the fact that you have the warmth and the feel of the pulsating, you feel close to them, yeah, even if you cannot actually... I mean, in a way, I guess that's an analogy we're trying to bring out. Maybe we can't see Hashem, but when we can be made aware of Hashem's presence in every little thing around us, it gives us a feeling of being close to Hashem, that Hashem is very close to us. Um, so let's see. Let's see about this. This is from the Baal Shem Tov. Text 7, from the background. Okay. Page 89, Meditating on God's Presence. Meditate on the fact that the divine presence fills the entire universe and that God's intimate presence is with you constantly. This will allow you to be constantly joyful, realizing and believing with perfect faith that the divine presence is with you, protecting you. Realize that you are gazing at the divine and that God is gazing at you. God can do as he pleases and is the source of all the goodness and suffering in the world. For God's divinity and sustaining force is within each item of existence. Mm-hmm. So, I guess, yes, like, in a way, like the child, you feel comfortable that you're close to your parent or something. When we feel that we're close to Hashem, Hashem can give us a sense of comfort, that we're not alone. Yeah? Um, that uh, you know, there's a, and this can also help. I don't know exactly what your question was about danger, but definitely this can help. I'm not, I mean, we'll get back to it a little bit. But what, what I mean can help us to feel a sense of the world's not all in chaotic. Hashem's still in control. Hashem's right here by me, yeah. And as if to say, holding my hand. I'm not sure. I mean, I think your question was more than that, but that's already a step, yeah. Um, Stay grounded. Yeah, can keep you stay grounded and calm and tranquil. Not yes. Um, if we get that feeling that Hashem is with us, you don't see it naturally. Obviously, when someone's uh, holding a gun to someone's head or something, yeah, but, but it's fine. But there's a rabbi. A lot of people know him as Steinzaltz. Yeah, rabbi, I didn't have any soil. So he was a great, tremendous, uh, great uh, yeah, scholar. He passed away about a year ago, and. One time he came to visit, when he came to the Rebbe, so the Rebbe asked him about his wife, Azwa. He lived in Israel and he came to New York. So the Rebbe, so he said, oh, my wife, she stayed behind. I came here all alone. So the Rebbe picked up on this, alone? A Jew should never be and feel he's alone. You shouldn't feel you're with me alone. Yeah, you should always feel in a way that Hashem is with you. But I'm saying, whatever, maybe, but I think it's a deep thing. In other words, yeah, to, to feel a certain... I'm not here, I'm not stuck all alone. And, you know, Hashem is with me in this situation as, as alone as, you know, as I feel, but Hashem is here with me. That's a... Uh, um, uh, so, Which psalm is that? The Lord is my shepherd? 23. 23. Yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah that's some of the concept. Yes, very good. Very good. If we shall not want it, how can we always want it? How can we always want it? Is that a contradiction to... Because we're humans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what gives us that? What what fuels that drive for wanting things that we shouldn't want? Is so that our soul wanting it, or is that could be the body wanting it? Yeah, <laughs> question. <laughs> could be the body. Ego. Yeah. Depends what we want. Yeah. The soul has its wants, and the body has its wants. 
But the simple meaning of that, it's a different discussion. It means that I lack nothing because God is looking to taking care of all my needs. Um, that's, I think, the simple meaning. Um, yeah? The Hebrew means I lack nothing. I lack nothing, um, I lack nothing that I need. Yeah. Um, but fine. Let's get back to over here, text 8. Um, please read for us again from the Baal Shem Tov. Ah, so I guess... When we develop, uh, this is uh, we speak a lot of time about the be- benefits of the yeah of the dominion of the ben- so yeah one of the things when we have divine consciousness what are the benefits? It is a tremendous achievement to constantly meditate on the fact that we are close to the Shem and that we are literally and entirely encompassed by His presence. We should try to remain connected to this reality to the extent that reflection becomes unnecessary because we mentally. Envision Hashem everywhere, constantly. At that point, we see that Hashem is the place of the world. He pre-exists all of existence, and all of existence exists within Hashem. This includes, of course, each of us as well. With this meditation, we fulfill the directive recorded in the Code of Jewish Law to set Hashem before us at all times. So we're meant to yeah, have Hashem in front of us, before us at all times. But when we do, you know, it changes in a way our perspective because we see everything through that lens. If I, if I believe Hashem's here, I mean, I don't know, this is my own personal thing, but often you speak to people, okay? So by me, or a lot of people, is that people have a strong, or myself, people have a strong faith in Hashem, so everything around them, wow, look at look what Hashem did. Look at the, you know, when they see a beautiful nature, a beautiful sunset, beautiful, you know, the, the sun and the summer comes and things start growing, the birth of the child, the workings of the human body. I, it's a, wow, look at Hashem's tremendous creation. If someone chooses, they, they don't think about Hashem. So they're going to, you know, you know they, it's all gonna, they're not going to think that way. Right. Yeah? And they, so, but I'm saying, that, what is that point? That... Once we have this consciousness, we can see Hashem through everything in the world. Um, let's see this over here. Over here, okay. Can I just go back one sec? Okay. Through meditating on Hashem's presence, we meditate, so yeah, we feel Hashem's closeness. Obviously, it's also we don't see it, but when we meditate, we come to see it, and we feel close to Hashem at all times. And this is the idea of the colored glasses. This shifts your mindset, allows you to see the world differently. These encompassing, how do we draw closer to something that's all around us? Say that, I'm sorry, Hashem. say that again? If, it's, if, if Hashem is all-encompassing and is, up, is giving life force to everything on this earth, then aren't we surrounded by Him? So how can I get closer to Him? Because he made us in such a way, and he made himself in such a way, and this world is to be concealed. Everything we experience is through the physical, tangible, seeable, and he made himself the unseeable. So Correct, yeah, yeah. after because before the first day of creation was just a shin, and each day was a layer. Uh, yeah. 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 Let's uh, 
Okay, fine. It wasn't more of Hashem, it was more hidden, because once Adam came onto the scene, he couldn't see Hashem, all he saw was nature. Yeah. He had to look through everything to see, back to Hashem. Yeah. Okay, fine. Let's go back here. We can, you, I feel like you have all of Judah. I'm happy to have a sit down and have a conversation, but uh, we are focused, and this class is going, we try to, in a specific area within Judaism. Not, I mean, Judaism is, and Godliness encompasses everything, and it's all related and interrelated. But we are, you know, we, we can, you know, we have, this is six classes, this is just a one subject. You know? We can't incorporate all of Judaism in one, in one class. Um, okay, so let's get back to our analogy. Let's go back. We spoke about our soul. Your soul is not only present in your actions, it's a conscious actor. What does that mean? Okay, okay, I guess when we, when I move around, yeah, I'm not just, yeah, you don't look at me. I don't know if you, you didn't notice, but you just gave a little smile. I yes, I did. You made a little sense. So I'm just trying to tell you, the soul, that was a, whether, whether you were conscious of it or not, but something obviously your soul told your body to smile. Yeah? And I, I'm just saying, every, every movement, I'm moving my hands when I talk. I'm not aware of it. Because I'm not conscious of it. Until now, obviously now I am because I'm telling you. But generally I'm not conscious. I just, you know what I mean? Um, yeah? I want to speak, so my mouth is moving in many different directions. I'm not consciously aware, but my soul... Is telling, making my, you know, making it move in those directions so I can express to you what I'd like to express. So our soul is moving, yeah, is the mover, as if to say, of our body. Okay, so that's another. Okay, again, we go back throughout the class to back the analogy of the soul and try to bring it back to Hashem in the world, with all the energy in the world. So, the, so the same thing in the world. Nothing just happens. A chance, things may seem to be happening, just, it's just nature happening, okay? But from a, you know, from a deeper perspective, we're told that everything, there's nothing, there's nothing in your nature. Hashem is making everything happen. Just certain things Hashem does in a consistent way. Every day it happens again, so we can kind of call it nature, but it's a consistent set. It's not just happening. Hashem is making it happen like that every time. Um, let's see, we'll read the next text, but if you took this again, this is on Psalms, King David. But uh, yeah, so read for us, please. Psalm 147, 8-9. covers the heavens with clouds, prepares rain for the earth, and causes mountains to sprout grass. He gives an animal its food, and as well to the hungry young ravens that call out. Thank you. But if you look at it, I mean, when we look at the world, we don't see it, does it? What do you mean? There's, you know? Nature, this precipitation, whatever, so therefore it causes the clouds to move and it causes it to rain. And okay, you can explain it naturally, but really, but the way David, King David, I know, he covers, Hashem covers, Hashem is making it happen. Hashem is giving them food. You can see, yeah? Hashem is providing that they should, food should be ready for them in the place you know, when they need it. Um, so it's part of Hashem is. Yeah. So if you take a look at the board a second, so this seems like it's just natural order. Let's, we'll discuss this as we go along. But really, nature is just a series of miracles. Yeah? And it's, you know, Hashem doesn't usually change it. Yeah? Hashem makes it, and there's a reason Hashem just 
put nature in place. But Hashem is not just put nature in place and let it go. Hashem is making it happen constantly, every day, every moment. Um, but sometimes, you know, sometimes we can't see it, sometimes not. This is, did I tell the story of the Baal Shem Tov? You tell me if I did. The one time that he was going with a student of his, and he was very, very thirsty. Did I tell you that a couple of weeks ago? Okay, in short, the story of the Baal Shem Tov was going once with a student of his. I could get his name, but he was very, very thirsty, the student. So the Baal Shem Tov asked him, did you believe that if God wants, God can, you know, can create water for you here right now, you know. Do, do you, so he said yes. So he said, if you, as soon as he, well, he said, you truly, you truly believe that Hashem, once Hashem can provide for you water here in the middle of the traveling, in the middle of the forest, whatever, there's no water around. It's middle of the he said yes. Within a few seconds, immediately, a person approaches him, a man approaches him, and is carrying, I guess, a water carrier with buckets of water. And he gave him to drink, they made a blessing, and they were. So they, and then the Hashem to asked the individual, he says, why were you here? Why were you? So he says, oh, I lost my, I lost my horses in the forest and I've been I'm looking for them. I got a little bit lost in the forest. I've been already been, been looking for the past two days. <laughs> so the Baal Shem Tov told him that you should know Hashem provided this and prepared for you this for you in advance a few days that if you would truly believe that Hashem can provide for you, it would be available for you when you want, when you're ready. As soon as you truly believe, it should be available for you. Um, that's an interesting story, but th- there's a concept, I guess, Hashem is, what's the idea here? Making things happen. Um, I just, I want to just point one thing out as we discuss it. At the end of the class, it's on page 103, there's a, I think, I mean, which is, I think some people might find it fascinating, I should have read it, but it's, it's explaining this academics and researchers they have at the end of each class how even science today appreciates the benefits of these Jewish beliefs in people's overall happiness and well-being. And, you know, these, these sciences come to, you know, at least to a certain level, recognize the benefits of these beliefs when people have these beliefs. Fine. Let's get into... Sometimes we can see the godly force at play, okay? Sometimes we plan something... And sometimes they're kind of weak, or sometimes, and then somehow, whatever. Sometimes less, and something didn't work out the way we wanted, but it ended up being much better. That can happen sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes we plan something, we thought we had it all worked out, and our plans get completely messed up. The phrase, man plans, Hashem laughs. Hashem laughs, okay, yeah, that's it. But, so, but that, ha- that happens. Very often we make plans, and we should make plans, but sometimes they don't work out, yeah, exactly the way that we planned. Now you could say it's just by luck, yeah, or you could say that no, this was part of Hashem's plan. Maybe it's not your plan, but it was part of Hashem's plan. We have a little thought over here. Yeah. Identify an occasion in which matters beyond your control unexpectedly and inexplicably shifted your plans or altered the outcome you had intended for yourself. Okay, you had one plan, you thought it would be this way, and things worked out this way. Now, looking back, are you able to recognize any value in that change? Now, so when, I, I mean, often, I'm not going to say, often, something happens, and then I had a plan, 
we get very frustrated. Yeah, I guess. Because, you know, well, we, we have planned one thing. There's, I guess, there's expectation and reality. I planned one thing, expected one thing. When things don't go the way I planned, so I get very frustrated. Yeah, I just understand because I flustered. I expected it to be this way. Now I'm not in where I wanted to be, and now I have to redeal with it. That's it. Sometimes I can look back and say, wow, actually, you know what? The fact that it worked out that way was much better. But I'm not saying you're always going to be able to. I'm not guaranteeing you're always going to be able to. Yeah? Um, um, Reminds me of the story of the, one of the stories of the Rebbe that there was a family or a husband and wife who had a meeting with the Rebbe, but they were stuck in New York in a snowstorm and they couldn't make it to the Rebbe. So she got on the phone and called the Rebbe and the secretary and talked with him and said, I'm sorry, I'm stuck in New York. I, have, I can't get there. Just, you know, frustrated because I can't get out of New York. And the Rebbe said to her, You're not stuck in New York. Hashem has you there for a reason. Look for the reason that you're there. You know, it's like to elevate your, perp your, your whole training, train your mind to look for the reasons that things didn't work out the way that you thought they should or you Good. wanted them to. Do you understand that story? There's, I mean, I'm sure we must have told the story in a different case. But yes, in short, then I think someone called the Rebbe. They, was, they were planning, I think, to come back to New York. They were stuck in Denver. I think there were snowstorms. Okay. Uh, it was in Michigan, actually. I think they were in Michigan. Okay. I think they were in Michigan, and there was snowstorms, and they couldn't get back. Okay. And they wrote, yeah, so they called the Rebbe, I guess, because they wanted to get back. This was a woman. They wanted to get back to their husbands, you know, as, you know, to their families. So they had some conference. And yet, so I think they told the rabbi that we're stuck. So yeah. the secretary responded, the rabbi doesn't know what stuck means. So they tried to explain what stuck. So, so the rabbi doesn't know. The rabbi doesn't understand. He doesn't know what the word stuck means. The concept stuck. Yeah. It's like that if you're stuck there, obviously there's a reason. God left you. I want you to hold it. Obviously you have more to accomplish in Michigan. And that's why you're still there. There's something what? about making shadows over shadows. Okay. This thing was like making shadows with other people there or something. That was a different story. Yeah, that, 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 that was a good story. Thank you. Very famous story that was read about a year ago to the mountaineering accident with someone being stuck and calling someone on the phone and they saved his life halfway up a mountain and he'd fallen. Yeah, yeah, I think I remember something vaguely. But yeah, there's, a, there's many stories of that. I mean, there's many stories of. Uh, Okay, but you know that's in other words. So like this, look when things obviously when things don't go my way, I expected to be back. I expected to be on this plane to be home already. So I'm getting all flustered and upset, and you know what I mean? When I have all these things and these meetings, and so yes, it does. I, but if I stop and tell myself, yes, that was my plans. But if I'm stuck here, there's nothing I can do about it right now. Obviously. Hashem's got his plans, and Hashem wanted that I should be stuck here. So then I can, okay, take a brief breath yeah. and refocus. So, what is it that I'm meant to accomplish here? Yeah. Start looking. <laughs> yeah. 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 Rabbi Simon tells a story, I just want to say that. But he says that his father was once in hospital. It was like by the high holidays. So, at the time they would come by the Rebbe, to, the Rebbe would give out before Yom Kippur, he would give out uh, honey cake. So the Rebbe, when he gave it to him, he gave it to him, he, he, he said, tell your father, when he's accomplished his mission in hospital, he'll be able to get out. <laughs> in other words, you know, so then I guess obviously he, he realized, he thought he was just, well, I mean, hospital because yeah. he's got an illness. And he, but no, you're not just in hospital because you have an illness. 
you, he had obviously whatever it was, yeah, speak to it. And his mind, all of a sudden, maybe his, his room became whatever, influencing all the Jewish doctors and people and patients around. And, uh, you know, so in others, the Rebbe was, saw it differently. You're not just there. So, that's, yes, yeah. Let's see this a little bit inside. Let me just see the thing over here. Okay, so again, we, when we expect something and reality works out differently, I guess this girl, she wanted chocolate or something and she, got, she thought it was lemon and it was vanilla, I don't know, whatever it is. Yeah, so it's not what you expected, you get fl- flustered. <coughs> then when, okay, and when, then when the ice cream falls, uh, head down and it's on a freshly clean carpet, she, well, I guess you get quite flustered. But if you say that what, you recognize that what, that for whatever reason, obviously Hashem had a plan, and this was a, I guess it just, it's, it's much, you have greater resilience, you have a better ability to be able to, yeah, to, to deal with it. And it helps you to be calm and deal with things in, in the proper way, as opposed to, yeah? Why is it our initial reaction to get mad, though? Why is it our first instinct when we drop something on a new fresh carpet we want to... You tell it? me. Because fresh carpet has value. Huh? All of a sudden it's damaged. Wait, but why does it why does it take us time to realize that because that's not, a, that's not our initial reaction to think once that drops like oh this is Hashem's plan our initial reaction is anger and frustration because it's a legitimate human emotion because yeah, we that's naturally part of our so that's not a soul emotion no, or is that no. a human emotion no, we have our more that's the more bodily emotion our bodily emotion our more our yeah more limit the lower self if you want to call it our animal self emotion. Is more that we want things nice and easy and beautiful and whatever. We don't like when our plans get flustered. So we have to, it's not natural, our more natural reaction is default. And the God is telling us through Torah we can elevate ourselves and start looking from a higher perspective. And then it helps so we shouldn't get so flustered. Yes, it's natural. um, What was it? A few days, uh, yesterday, I guess, yeah. It's not easy. Okay, we'll get to in a minute. Yeah, but my kids were, I wanted them out in a certain time, I had to bring them here, I wanted them out in a certain time, because I had plans, I wanted to be somewhere you know, by 10 o'clock, in order for me to, I have to bring them and drop them off, and, um, but uh, whatever, things weren't working out, you know, especially with children, they often, you know, they, they like the car seat, and this, and getting, it takes them a while to get out, they don't have the same rushes like we have. So, I, I get, you get very flustered, uh, yeah, and let's say, we get very flustered, I guess, but, the question is, if uh, when we stop and we think to our second, take a deep breath. Obviously, this is Hashem's plan. I know I wanted, I had good, very good reason to want to be there by 10 o'clock. You know, be there ready. Whatever. But obviously, you know, I, mean, I, I must do my part. I mean, obviously, we do our part and we, uh, try to be there. But when it just it's a little bit, you know, when we say that, obviously, Hashem, I was meant to be on this road traveling down the 131, not at 9.30, but at 9.30. 35. <laughs> I'm just saying, what? I'm just saying, it was, okay, let's see that. But when we have that idea, it's, uh, yes, we have to. So life is all about, we have a natural conscious and we have to elevate us. So it's telling us to go beyond that natural consciousness, mm-hmm. the, the animistic consciousness. Okay. Let's see this over here is a text from the Rebbe. Okay, who's reading? Okay, it's uh, text 10. Text 10, careful watchfulness. With reference to your writing about doubts and difficulty and about the feeling of insecurity in general, I trust it is unnecessary to elaborate to you at length that such feelings arise when a person thinks that he is alone. 
and can only rely on himself and his own judgment, and therefore feels doubtful and insecure about each move he has to make. And while he also trusts in Hashem, this trust is somehow superficial, without permeating him and his way of life in every detail. <coughs> and only on certain days, such as the high holy days, he feels more close to Hashem. Okay, so yes, the person, I'm just saying, they feel somewhat alone and therefore doubtful. So he's saying, you believe in Hashem. It's not that you do believe, I'm not saying you don't. You believe in Hashem, but the belief is somewhat, it's not, you know, you know it's not felt internal. It's here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit abstract. Maybe on high holidays you come to shul and you feel close to Hashem, it's there, but it's not that deep. Let's see, like, but if it's deep, let's see. But when a person's faith in Hashem is deep, and when he reflects upon Hashem's benevolence, benevolent providence, extends to each and every person and to each and every detail and each and every minute, surely he must develop a profound sense of security and confidence. The concept of divine providence is better understood in the original term of Hashgoko Protis or Hashgoko Protis means careful watchfulness. For, this, for which reason the term hashgoko is used also in connection with the law of kashrus, where every detail has to be carefully watched. Nor is another translation which is sometimes used in connection with hashgoko protis, namely supervision, entirely satisfactory in this case, because supervision implies overseeing, that is to say, seeing from above, Whereas Hashgosko, in the sense of Hashem's watchfulness, means knowing matters through and through. The belief in such Hashgoko protis is basic to our religion and way of life. So much so that before every new year and, and during the beginning of the new year, we say twice daily Psalm 27. Hashem is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Hashem is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? From this, it, is, it follows that even if things happen not as desired, according to, the, to human calculations, and even if, seems that, if it seems that even according to the, to the Torah, it should have been different, a Jew still puts his trust in Hashem. Is there a difference between Hashtaka and Hashkaka, or is it just a different pronunciation? Same thing, it's different pronunciation. Is that the same root word as mashkiach? Yeah, that's what he said. The supervision for kashrus is mashkiach, yeah. It's the same, same thing, yeah. Same root word, yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, the problem just keeps coming up for me. Yeah in this concept of divine providence. If everything is the way it's supposed to be, then how can we change anything? How can we even change ourselves? Okay, that's a very good question. That's the, that's the million dollar question in Judaism. That's the, huh? No, it's a very good question, and it's a deep question, and that's, that's that point, I mean, the last, uh, we discussed it a little bit, but that's not the focus really of our class. In other words, there are two, two, there's two, two parts of the coin. Okay? 
There's a concept that we're speaking about that today, that Hashem is complete control of everything. Mm-hmm. Okay? And what we're saying, that can help me. Yeah? Even like you said before, danger. When I'm in a dangerous situation, if I know that's not Hashem is watching me, Hashem is with me, I'm in the place that I'm meant to be now. So that's, you know, especially when things don't go the way I planned on it, especially when there's no reality, I had expectation, reality is different. When life didn't go you know, the way I would like, you know, for whatever, you know, I think I first should have taken this career, I should have taken this job. But when I can look back and I can say that that was part of Hashem's plan, and I can, it gives me a certain sense of serenity. If you ask me, yes, we definitely must put in our efforts, you know, and try to, we do have to make our choice, but that's not the focus of this class. We definitely, in Judaism, we believe we have free choice in many areas, not every area. Some of these things happen if you're stuck there in the airport, obviously, there, those areas you definitely don't have free choice. Yeah? Um, Hashem does want us to be proactive and not just say, no, just lay back and I have to go and pursue a job and try to do mitzvahs and try to do the right thing. I can't just leave it all back and just say, no, God will do everything. That's not the Jewish approach. But the focus of today's class, you know, sometimes the, sometimes the line is that God makes what God creates a situation, our, our, our choice is how we react to it. Mm-hmm. Something, um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a big, tough subject to exactly how we... It's, it's, we definitely have choice, but our focus today is more the idea of God's providence, okay? Um... Look, this is a, this is her book. Her book was a Byron Katie, A Thousand Names for Joy. So she writes like this, life is simple. I don't think you have it. I'm just reading it. I don't think you have it in front of you. She says, life is simple. Everything happens for you, not to you. Everything happens exactly at the right moment, neither too soon nor too late. You don't have to like it. It's just easier if you do. Yeah. Um, from a Jewish perspective, I don't know what she's perspective. You know, sometimes just say, you know, sometimes you know, you know, social workers say it's good for you to think that way. It's, just, it's definitely healthier if you think that way. But from a Jewish perspective, there's definitely truth to that. Okay, Hashem is involved in every detail of creation, and yeah, the fact that uh, you live in Grand Rapids and this year, yeah, you could have done that, but you're meant to be here. Yeah, um, that's uh, you have a reason. Hashem wants you to be a. Um, We'll discuss more about that soon, but it helps us. For us, we're saying, again, going back to the beginning of the class, God, God is everywhere, but when we meditate on this, it gives us a different perspective, and it helps. So these are some of the benefits from having the godliness within us, seeing the godliness around us. One of the benefits is that we're able to deal with those setbacks, when things don't go our way, in a better way. Let's see, let, let's, let's see, you have a little exercise to help us kind of take it in. Wow. Okay, number 3.1. Identify a recent experience that triggered a negative emotion and make note of it. Doesn't have to be the worst in the world. There's something, yeah? Some kind of something, some negative emotion. Something is not major. Pause for a moment, reflect on what happened, and consider it was specifically designed by Hashem. You may not know why, but it was supposed to be. That thing was meant to be that way. Record how you feel now about the same matter post reflection. So angry. Huh? Like I, I was at work and I got up and uh, there's a chandelier 
above my head, and me being as tall as I am, hit it, and it broke the light, and shattered the glass all over the place, and uh, hurt my head a little bit, and I was just, I was angry, I'm like, I, I should have known that was there, and now I'm looking back, like, I'm still angry about that, like, how come I wasn't aware of that? That's fine, but if you stop and think about it, and now that obviously it happened, and we say that what? That Hashem wanted that chandelier should break at that time, and even the air, that you should have to spend the time cleaning it up. I don't know if you had to pay for it, whatever it is. Not yet. What? Not yet. Not yet. I'm sure I will. But either way, if you can tell yourself that this is what God wants, this was part of God's plan. Yes, it wasn't your plan, you didn't plan it, but this is the way God wanted things should work out. If that should happen to you at that time. It's frustrating asking that question because you ask yourself, then why? Why? Yes, what? Rabbi Buddha, can I ask then, if he says that about God wanting something, that's his plan, what about this week's partial? He surely didn't want the golden calf. No, that's, that's incorrect, according to everything that we just said. The golden calf was planned by God, and it serves a purpose, and we're supposed to, I think we're supposed to learn from it. Right. Or unless it, you go with the concept that every moment Hashem is continuously making this world. He doesn't make it at 6 a.m. and sit back, and this is the plan for the day, everything goes according to plan, and comes back the next day. But every second is continuously. Now the problem is he has to deal with us, Yahoo's down here, making choices down here. And he has to adjust accordingly by each choice and by each decision of us down here. What an awesome task. <laughs> yeah, it's quite an awesome task. Well, yeah, so, well, it was already it was awesome at the beginning to be involved in the specific, of every brain of sand, of every hair on your head, of every, that already was awesome. Yeah. Now you're telling me, yeah, that he also has to be, God has to, yeah, seem to be um, orchestrating. orchestrating. Is it, is it a two-way street then, that we have to... Um, it's a paradox. Don't even go. Yeah, let's not go that way today. It's, it's, it's a bit much. We have to accept, have to accept his plans and his, his ideas. So does that mean he has to accept what we think and what we let's, choose to do? Let, let's discuss this later. Let's, I just want to conclude one more point as we try to finish close tonight. So I just, the next point, which is just but is like this. The idea, let's see how we're going to do this text over here. Okay, you know what, let's read it. Jonathan, please read my text It's taking a step While well, Shem Tov taught that divine providence does not only mean that God orchestrates the individual movement of each of the manifold created entities, and that the same providence is actually determining the existence of life of that entity. It also means that the particular movement of a single entity bears a direct impact on the overall purpose of creation. Take, for example, the slightest quiver of a solitary sliver of plant flourishing in the belly of the forest, or upon some tremendous mountain, or in one of our planet's deepest valleys that has never been traversed by a human. The plant's movements to the right, to the left, forward or backward throughout the duration of its lifespan are actively determined by ongoing divine providence. God has issued a specific decree. Well, this particular plant will live for a specific amount of months, days and hours, 
and then during this time it will turn and bend in these directions a certain amount of times. Beyond all that, however, each of these particular movements is significant for the overall purpose of creation. Through the combination and synthesis of all the myriad particular occurrences involving countless millions of species and subdivisions that exist within all of the four kingdoms, the sublime divine intent that underpins all of creation is consummated. Not only is every feature of every entity divinely orchestrated, it plays an indispensable role in the divine purpose of creation. Okay, so this is quite amazing. Not only is everything part of the, yeah, the God of orchestrated and is giving life, but this is part of the overall plan, okay? It's part of the overall plan of, well, God has a plan of creation of where the world's going. And this, the tiny movements, yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is a good thing or not, but, you know, we say yeah, the butterfly movement. If the butterfly moves this, yeah, it, it impacts the weather, yeah, across the, I don't know, across the globe. It has a tremendous impact, a small little movement. Say, so it's not just, there you see this, it's seemingly, what do you mean, it's a tiny little <coughs> butterfly movement, yeah? But it flapped its wings over there in the middle of the ocean, that has an impact. So what well, we're saying that every little movement of the tree is, there's a famous story, if you all know it, I'm sure some of those who come around more know it, the Baal Shem Tov, if you all know it. But he tried to explain this to his students, and so one time so he said they are having a hard time grasping it, so he took them on a trip, and they stopped by someone, and then the wind blew, and they blew, blew a leaf off the tree, and it, you know, it bounced around and it landed. So the Baal Shem Tov told him to go, he wanted his student to go and follow, see where the leaf landed. He went and he picked it up, and under the leaf there was a worm. That worm, either was the heat and it needed protection from the, from the heat or something, and that, you know what I mean? So they were, there, they were able to see that the, the fact that God made the wind blow, and how many things happened, there's a purpose to give this, this, this what's it called, this, this worm what it needed. So I'm not saying, we all, I'm not saying we're always going to see that. But that's the concept. This is that concept that everything is part of the greater plan. They have a nice way of explaining it. If you take a look at the in your pictures in front of you, but if you take a look over here at the board, you see that there's one little pixel. Okay? Each moment on its own is just a little pixel. It looks like, okay, it's another little shade of orange. Doesn't mean anything. It seems quite meaningless. But if we realize that this is all together, this is part of the entire picture. If you're missing that pixel, the picture is just not going to be complete. So every little moment, every little thing that happens in the world, yes, on its own, it's a tiny little thing. It seems insignificant. But if we realize that this is part of the entire yeah, picture, the trained eye will see there's something wrong with the picture. It's missing that. Yeah, it's missing one it's missing a pixel over there. So, yes. The, the concept <coughs> we're trying to bring out, about Shanti is saying, yeah, if, if that applies to, every, to the movement of a leaf, yeah, that's, that, that's connected with the whole plan of creation. Most definitely, us as human beings, we're everything, we're here, we're meaningful, our life has meaning and purpose, and it's not just, uh, you know, it's not just, you know, sometimes we may feel about ourselves, you know, why am I here, do I have purpose? We're very much, you know, a major part. The human being, we're much greater than that. Yeah, so definitely our life has purpose and meaning. Let's, I'm going to go for two more minutes, we'll just read two more texts about this concept. And then we'll conclude. Um, how about Mr. Henry First Tom? Yes, Text 12. Just as we enjoy to believe in Hashem's, so must we 
subsequently believe in ourselves. In other words, we must believe that Hashem has provided us with a mission in life, and our lives are not meaningless. But rather, our souls come from Hashem, the source of life, and Hashem is delighted and satisfied when we execute His will. Not meaningless here, just like we have believe in Hashem, we have to believe in ourselves, and we're here for a purpose. And what we do matters, and God, Hashem cares about our actions, what are the choices that we make. Hashem cares about that. And we first a similar thing from here, from ladies from the teachers, that I guess the idea is when we travel to different places, so we think, you know, okay, you know, whether it's here for business, or okay, I'm traveling to California, and I have to stop on the way in Denver, or whatever. But we say in Hashem, everything is part of the plan. It wasn't just, I wanted to go there because I wanted to visit my mother. That could be the case, but there's more to it. Hashem wants you to go there, and there's a reason for everything. So let's see that. Please, Mr. Kessler, final text. 13. Guided footsteps. Rabbi Levi Yitzhak of Ardekshev cited in Pit Gamin Kadishin, page 15. 16. We should recognize and fully appreciate that our travels to various locations are not random. Each journey is specifically directed by God. The divine intention in orchestrating these journeys is that each individual has been allotted a specific portion of the material world to spiritually rectify. Our portions are in specific locations to which we must journey. We accomplish these acts of rectification in a variety of ways such as through studying Torah or praying in that location, or through eating, drinking, and sleeping there for the sake of properly serving God, or through another means of performing God's will in that place. The Baal Shem Tov associated this concept with the verse, God establishes the steps of man. Psalms chapter 37, verse 23. Meaning that a person's desire to relocate to a specific place is actually inspired by God for the purpose of engage in a particular aspect of divine service, thereby rectifying whatever this person has been appointed to rectify. Therefore, when we arrive at any given location, we must reflect on this deeper reality and challenge ourselves. Why am I here? Is it certainly not random? <coughs> it is certainly not random. For what achievement did God lead me to this spot? I know from you know sometimes you come to a different place, and sometimes you know it's a fight. Whether it is. If you eat there and you say grace after meals, you say, who, who was it? You think there was ever someone who said and praised God in this place? Not to say, you know, some of these random places, you know, it's not, um, you know, it sounds like you make a you know, your prayer or do something, or even not a prayer, even you know, but doing something good by helping someone in that place. We're saying we're elevating, we never know this part of the plan. I guess is a, I'll conclude with this story because it's connected with this uh, family over here. Rabbi Mendel Futafas, Mrs. Weingarten's grandfather. So he was in Russia, and he was, I'm sure some of you have heard the story, but he was in Russia and he was helping. And there was a time that Jews were able to get out, you know, in the communists in the 1940s, just after the war, you were able to get out if you had a Polish uh, passport. 
So, you know, Russia wasn't exactly uh, very friendly to Jews, Jewish observance, so they were forging Polish passports, and he was, he was involved in the whole scheme of getting Jews out. But eventually he was caught, and they sent him to Siberia. Siberia, yeah, it was a very cold place, very hard work, and he was working very, you know, difficult. So he was there, and there was other people there, many other Russians, you know, even under Stalin, if you became too successful, Stalin was, might have been threatened, you know. So there were other people there, you know, maybe very some of the successful, you know, lawyers, doctors, um, so they asked him, Mendel, how come you're always so happy? Yeah, he asked them, well, why are you so sad? What do you mean? I used to have this uh, business, I had a family, and now I'm stuck here, and I have this hard labor all day, freezing cold, I don't get any food. And, well, I don't know, why, why am I sad? He said, but beforehand, what did I do? I tried to serve Hashem. And now also, what do I try to do? I try to serve God. Obviously, the situation is different, but if a person's purpose in life is how to serve God in every situation. So that's, you know, every situation, okay, it's, the situation is very different, and I'm just off further. But he's able to find meaning, yeah, and purpose, even in that situation. The fact that he's there is not just by chance. Even if you're in prison, uh, there's, there's, there's meaning to it. Seemingly you can't do it. No, there's obviously something you can do, you can accomplish even in that situation. Um, let's sum up, let's read our summary. Um, and then there is a bit, if anyone wants it, another. Okay, that's where we have to. Okay, let's go back on. Ken, this one, how do we try something? Yes, the page, which page are we on? 5. Everything that happens is an integral part of the master plan of creation. Each one of us and every circumstance of our lives is relevant and important to the overall purpose of existence. Okay. So, one second. so the, I mean, there's many different things we discussed. They're all in similar veins. So I guess, yeah, either we're constantly in Hashem's presence, yeah, Hashem's always with us, that can lead us to joy. Okay, or we spoke about the idea that everything's intentional, Hashem is not happening to you, it's happening for you, that helps us overcome when the situations don't go our way. Or we just spoke about now, that everything is a part of the purpose, you have a pur part of the whole purpose of creation. I mean, the point is a lot of exercise at the end of class, if something you can, if any of these things resonate with you a little bit more, if you can take throughout the week to think about it a few times, yeah, that's the idea. The, the concept is it's not that it's a nice class, but if you want us to, to, to change our perspective, so we have to take some of these texts and some of these ideas and think about them and visualize them a bit more um, with God's help. Okay, that does conclude the class. There is a, another meditation which I'll show now if anyone wants, and if anyone has any questions, you're welcome to ask. Okay. Can I correct you on a statement, if it needs yes. correction? Okay. Uh, you said earlier in this thing that it's when we die, but if, how can life die? It's not so much that we die, it's simply that when life leaves us, because life cannot die. So I think it's improper to say that we die, because our life force, our soul can't die. It simply leaves our body. So is it improper to say the fact that a human being dies? The soul... Definition of the word die. 
the soul remains alive. We spoke about this law last week. We spoke about what's life and what's death and what's your definition of life and death. And yes, the soul is alive forever. The soul never dies. But the body, you know, when the soul separates from the body, that's what we refer to as death. Um, Um, Hashem didn't say, like the first words he said was, if you don't do this, you're going to die. Or if you do this, you'll die. That's one of his first words. Life isn't random. There is a subtle cause and effect relationship that operates in your life. And that cause and effect relationship relates to a master plan that the master planner ingrained within your soul and within the world. Our task is to recognize the turnings in life and be able to choose freely those that correspond to the master plan. Gently close your eyes. Just become aware of the silence in the room. Become aware of the emptiness of the space. Hashem infuse 
with purpose. But the way that you choose allows that purpose to be expressed optimally or less optimally. There's meaning to your life. The way you choose leaves footprints in the sands of time and in the world itself. <coughs> Practice mindfully how to exercise choice so that your purpose overlaps with Hashem's destiny for you. And that way you achieve fulfillment, life's meaning in a way that is painless, optimized and in keeping with the intent of your reincarnation, why you, your soul, 